Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Seabrow, and welcome to the definitive rap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. The definitive rap is proud to be the official podcast of Vin News. We were promised a Biden presidency would bring normalcy back to Washington. We were told a Biden victory would restore the soul of our nation. These promises were made following months of violence and destruction of our big cities over the summer. Well, Joey from Scranton was declared the victor, but what have we seen since then? Democrats and their allies are trying to defund the police. Democrats and their allies are blacklisting Americans whose political views they don't support. Democrats and their allies are taking books off of our bookshelves and silencing those who don't comport to their far-left ideology. Today's guest, and one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, is David Brog, who Bela will introduce shortly. But David did what most of us think about doing. But he does it. He started a new organization called the Emergency Committee for America. And I urge our listeners to visit his website at ec4america.org. And here's just a snippet from his homepage. The voice of the silent majority. Our cities are on fire. Statues of American heroes are being pulled down. Good police officers are being blamed for the sins of the few. Our children are being taught that America was founded on hate. And the woke mob is hard at work trying to cancel anyone who dares disagree with them. We abhor racism and police brutality. But we oppose the extremists trying to exploit this moment to radically change our country. They've not asked for our permission. They've not sought our vote. They shall not receive our consent. We represent a silent majority of Americans, but silent majorities change nothing. We shall be silent no more. Bela? Thank you, Alan. Yes, our cities were being burned. Statues of American heroes were thrown and destroyed. Police officers risking their lives every second of their shift were being attacked and held responsible for the wrongdoing of a few. America was running on hate and the country ablaze. No longer is it a place where you have your opinion and I have my opinion. No longer are we living in a country with people who can agree to disagree as it has always been. And the reason people from all over the world flock to the United States for life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. No. Now, if you don't agree with the left, you're canceled out. Yet, there is a misconception that needs clarification. Being a right, as opposed to being a left, does not mean that police brutality or racism of any kind should be tolerated. However, that also does not mean that innocent police officers officers should be attacked either. Nor does it mean that statues of American heroes such as Washington, Lincoln, and Douglas, who fought for the rights and freedom for all Americans, should be destroyed. Nor does it mean that hatred should be taught in any educational facility. 
America needs to stand proud and tall, and its people should never be silenced. And so it gives me great honor to formally welcome David Brog, who will delve into this issue and talk about the Emergency Committee for America that he helped launch. David is also the executive director of the Maccabee Task Force, founding executive director of Christians United for Israel, and president of the Edmund Burke Foundation, which is focused on building up national conservatism as a movement. David, thank you for joining us again on The Definitive Wrap. Thanks for having me back. The Emergency Committee for America, is that a fairly new initiative, or is it something that you've been working on for a while, even before America was on fire, so to speak? Is this a grassroots committee or part of a larger organization? What is the objective? I've got all those questions. And please educate our listening audience. Well, thanks for the opportunity to share. I I appreciate it. Um, The Emergency Committee for America is very much a product of my frustration over the summer. Um, I like like you and, and like I believe the overwhelming majority of Americans was sitting at home every night uh, watching on the news our cities being set on fire, um, an extreme fringe, at most they represent three, four percent of the American population, was taking over the streets. And weak leaders were actually listening to them and implementing the, the extreme policies they were demanding. So I, I kept saying, well, oh, f- fine. Uh, the, the vast majority that opposes this excess is going to get angry. They're going to speak out. They're going to speak up and we're going to stop this insanity. But it never happened. Night after night, it never happened. And I think I realized why it never happened was because we didn't have much of a choice. The the options we faced were, were either screaming at the TV or going out in the streets and screaming at Antifa. And most of us don't want to go out in the streets and scream in Antifa. You know, we have families, we have jobs, we have to get up in the morning. Frankly, I don't want to get my nose broken. Um, so I saw an urgent need for, for, for uh, you know, a safe middle ground where the vast majority of Americans who oppose this agenda and oppose this lunacy can speak up, speak out without having to, to, to take a lot of time they don't have and without having to endanger themselves, which they don't want to do. I haven't had some experience in this, having having built Christians United for Israel, which really was a was a similar uh, a similar effort. We knew there were millions of evangelicals who supported Israel and loved Israel, but they were too busy to do much about it. They didn't have many opportunities to 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 express their support for Israel. Christians United for Israel became a very large and very important grassroots organization by giving these people easy. You know, quick ways to show their support for Israel, opportunities they never had before. And without these opportunities, they never really would have weighed in for Israel in any concrete way. So I said, you know, instead of waiting uh, for, for others to do it, I do have some experience here. I, I do have some knowledge here. Um, and, uh, you know, we had a daughter over the summer. Uh, oh, congratulations. Uh, I had two kids. Um, and I looked at them and, and you know, not... You know, not, not that I, I, I'm going to change the world, but I just felt like I need to try my best to do something. Um, so I started this um, in November and I'm funding it myself out of money I should be putting into their college accounts. I'm not a rich person by any stretch, but I figure, you know, when it's time for them to go to college, I can say, well, you know, I can't pay for your college, but at least I, I 
tried to uh, tried to save uh, the country, tried to do what I could uh, to keep to keep this country uh, true to its principles and its foundations. Um, that, that being said, I do think uh, now that this is taking off, now that it's resonating, I do think I'll be able to attract funds. I, I do think ultimately I'll be able to start putting money back into those college funds. David, you mentioned that it's only three or 4%. But what I'm wondering is, is it really that small? I don't see Nancy Pelosi or Chris Cuomo going out there burning the cities down, but they have their own bully pulpit. And I suspect that these three to 4% crazy people who live in their parents' basement, for them, this is their bully pulpit. But AOC, she doesn't have to go out there burning cities down because she has her microphone to do that. The same thing with the folks at CNN and MSNBC. Um, Nobody in the halls of Congress is saying a darn word. They're obsessing about white supremacists who really represent a real, again, they are dangerous, but they really are a, they're a powerless minority unless they go out there with their guns and their weapons. Other than that, they have no representation in Congress. They have no representation in the media or in academia. And the fact that they're not even being, these people weren't even condemned. You saw the news clips on Fox News, um, I don't know if it was CNN or MSNBC saying, there were fires right behind them, buildings being burned down, and they said, it's mostly peaceful behind me. And then, you know, I know Bela is very, very um, concerned about the, um, the, the shelving of Dr. Seuss books. But what I wonder is, who wakes up in the morning and initiates uh, these movements or these new asinine uh, ideas that we have to start doing, burning down buildings, rioting, banning books? I know you pointed out on your website that uh, Amazon shelved Clarence Thomas, uh, his tapes or his books over Black History Month. Where is this starting? So, you know, there is this extreme fringe, uh, uh, Alan, and the, the activist bases, left and right, have a lot of power in American politics. Um, they're, they're the ones who go out and vote in primaries, and they're the ones who can often get elected officials, center right and center left, to focus on their agenda. So maybe I'm being optimistic when I say it's 4%. Maybe it's 6%, maybe even 8%. But this is a fringe of American opinion that doesn't represent all Americans, let alone even most Democrats. But it's a fringe with power because they're, they're where the energy is at right now. They are the activist base of one of our two political parties. And it's an activist base that a lot of mainstream Democratic politicians are running scared of. So, you know, uh, Joe Biden, I followed his career for, for years. Uh, he's never been this kind of, of, of extremist. He's never been this kind of, of extremist progressive. Yet uh, when he was running for office, he wouldn't even disavow packing the Supreme Court. So afraid was he of turning off this activist base. Um, he only voiced his opposition to defunding the police, a, a truly extreme and dangerous idea, um, after he was safely elected. So afraid was he of this activist base. So they have an outsized influence. And if you don't, like any bullies, really, if you don't stand up to them, they will keep going and going and going. And, and what we're seeing right now, I'm afraid, is the fact that no one stood up to them. They came up with truly extreme and dangerous ideas. And seriously, if you care about the lives of minority communities in America, if you care about the lives of black and brown people, the last thing you want to do is to fund the police. 
and I'm not just saying this as a white guy in the suburbs, ask, ask black people in the inner city if they want to maintain their police presence or decrease their police presence. In overwhelming majorities, they will say, please, we want to maintain our police presence. It's actually white kids from the suburbs who want a virtue signal, who are in favor of decreasing their police protection, who want to subject them to greater harm from criminals. It's, it's not something the people of the inner cities actually want. But we didn't stand up to them when they wanted to defund the police. We actually saw cities defunding the police. We didn't stand up to them when they wanted to pull down statues of Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. And so not having been opposed, these bullies are looking for their next targets, one after the other. And this is how you go from situations of, of relative normalcy in the body politic to these moments um, that you look back upon years later and realize uh, something uh, insane was unleashed. Um, and people and not wanting to be targeted, not wanting to be criticized, uh, caved into the insanity of the crowds and the insanity of the moment. This is one of those moments. David, so what is the issue now that Biden was elected president? Uh, they have what they want. The left have what they want. Why is America still not at peace and synchronized as a United Nation? You know, I, I um, most of what I learned in college was, was, was a waste of time and a waste of money. But I did learn one thing in college that uh, has proven to be true over the years, which is revolutions don't occur when the, those seeking them have no hope. A revolutions actually occur when people's expectations have been increased, but then they are not met and not fulfilled. Um, you know, why did we see the, the second intifada occur at a moment when Israel was offering more concessions than it had ever offered in its history? The expectations were raised, but they were not immediately met. Violence ensued. Um, what happened now is the expectations of the far left had been increased dramatically, both because they saw that local governments were caving into them and because they saw that their, their guy, their, 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 their preferred candidate won the White House. These expectations are not being met and they can't be met, not by any normal administration because they are so outlandish and so extreme. And so try as they may, the Biden administration will never meet these, these heightened expectations. Frustration is already ensuing, and I, I'm afraid it's only going to get worse. The only answer I see is if these bullies of, of the far left are finally confronted, finally stopped, um, and expectations are put back in check. Okay. So, David, you have, um, you have a history of successful organization with Christians United for Israel, um, as well as the Maccabee Task Force. What is your next step now? How do you organize? Um, besides, again, there are 50 states. Do you go after certain members of Congress? How do you, how do, you do this? So the, the, the first immediate task is, is to grow um, the grassroots movement. In other words, I, I, I think there are, we need multiple uh, solutions to this very difficult moment. Um, one of them has to be the grassroots. So I, I know think tanks are, 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 are being founded. That's fantastic. Uh, people are writing some excellent things about this. There's some excellent reporting going on about this. That's fantastic. One component has to be uh, the grassroots, the, the silent majority speaking out. So uh, task number one, immediate mission number one, is, is, is growing this movement so that we, we, we speak for a significant 
percentage of the grassroots. And we have, we have the power that comes from those numbers. So I'm, I'm, I'm focused right now on growing our email list so that when we send out an action alert, and like you mentioned, we just sent out an action alert to, to have people email Jeff Bezos and tell him not to cancel conservatives. Now, over the past few months, they've been canceling conservative after conservative. The director of the Clarence Thomas documentary they just canceled said it very clearly. He said, he said you know, we need to speak out uh, against this. Otherwise, these cancellations are going to continue. And I think that's true. I think Bezos is a businessman. If he has pushback, he'll stop. If there's no pushback, he'll continue. Um, so we want to we want to grow the list so that when we do a campaign like this, we inundate people um, with emails. The next step, and I want to move to this very quickly, um, is uh, right now we're uh, we, we filed to be a five hundred one c three, but I think we also need to create a five hundred one c four, and we need to do state based uh, campaigns promoting legislation in the states that helps us achieve our goals. So, for example. Um, teaching critical race theory and the 1619 project um, is becoming a thing. Uh, it's becoming a thing because this extreme fringe is demanding this one-sided anti-American curriculum. Um, we have to teach the truth about America. America is, has not been a, a perfect country. We have committed our sins and we have to teach them. But to go from a one-sided America is, 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 is pure uh, a curriculum to one that says uh, the other extreme, America is just evil and inherently racist, is a terrible thing to be teaching our children for, among other reasons, it's simply not true. Um, and so we need to fight these extreme one-sided anti-American curricula. Um, there's being legislation introduced in the states that would withhold public funding from schools teaching these dangerous curricula. I want to see that legislation pass. I want to make sure we're mobilizing people to support that legislation. So we're very going to, quickly going to move to create a C4 and to weigh in on behalf of good legislation. But even there, um, we need the grassroots. We need the, the numbers to speak out. Otherwise, our influence will be limited. David, for this to succeed, do you have to spend more time targeting Democrats? Because if Republicans come out and target the left, uh, it'll become our side against their side, just as we saw with Marjorie Taylor Greene. I'm sure that Kevin McCarthy wasn't in love with her, but there was no way he was going to take any lectures from Nancy Pelosi. So I'm wondering if to make this project work, that we need to recruit um, moderate, normal Democrats who are going to shut these people down because our side can't do it. That, that's my that's my ideal and that's my goal. First of all, if our, even if just Republicans start speaking out in a focused way, you know, uh, you have a school board deciding whether or not to cancel Abraham Lincoln. They're hearing from this extreme fringe on the one hand. On the other hand, they're not hearing from anybody. Even if they start hearing from Republicans, at least now there's some balance. Uh, right. And most public officials... Are, are weak and they'll, they'll go or they'll respond to pressure. We need to, we need to equalize that, that pressure. So that would be a great start. But I think you're right, Alan. Eventually, I'd like to see this organization representing the bipartisan majority that might disagree about tax policy, that might disagree about farm policy, but agrees in, in, our, in our love for our country, as, as imperfect as it is, as imperfect as any country is, and agrees that we, we want to oppose certain extreme curricula or certain extreme agendas that don't represent us. And, my, and I've been very careful to make sure that the emergency committee is and can be bipartisan. We don't take issues, we don't take positions on or behalf of any elected officials. We take positions that not only will almost every Republican support, 
But we take positions, I, w- I would argue, probably 75% of Democrats support. Um, the problem is just that, that none of us have been speaking out. So I hope to get there. I, I hope to build what you're saying. Ultimately, I think that can make a big difference in stopping the madness of the moment and then letting us get back to debating the reasonable disagreements we have and have always had. David, my parents came to this country having survived the Holocaust and then communism in Eastern Europe. And like thousands of others who came to this country who seeked, found and enjoyed the benefits of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And as we spoke about in recent times, the liberty to say what you want or to disagree can result in violence. But when it gets to the point that Amazon and eBay delists books and films they consider conservative, that has reached an all-new disturbing level. Yet, interestingly, Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, is perfectly okay. Actually, I find it scary. And I know that I do not stand alone in this viewpoint and just so people understand, I, I, I spoke to Alan about Dr. Seuss. Uh, Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss wrote children's books that spoke out against racism. The Sneetches is a perfect example and the dangers of not working together. Uh, the Zacks and, and Butler battle. All of his books had illustrations that were caricatures that featured some races, but nothing about his books indicated he was a racist or intended to be a racist. My question to you is, as president of the Edmund Burke Foundation, what steps are you taking to either curb this new, this, this new cancel culture or stop it from getting worse? So our, our approach to the cancel culture, I'm doing that primarily through this, this new group, the Emergency Committee for America. And there, too, um, I think there are a large majority of Americans who are tired of this cancel culture who want to get back to disagreeing agreeably. Um, but we've, just, we've been completely silent. So when someone is asked to cancel, let's say, an Abraham Lincoln or cancel a Frederick Douglass, um, they're hearing from, from angry people who want them to do it. They're not hearing from anyone who doesn't want them to do it. So what's the easy thing for a politician to do? They cancel. Um, and so I think we need to mobilize the vast silent majority to oppose this. Um, What's particularly dangerous about this moment, and you mentioned it, is that we we no longer have this extreme ideology just on the campuses or just even in the extreme progressive base of the Democratic Party, but it now dominates big tech. And big tech has an an inordinate, um, really unprecedented power over our lives. This has been a very quick development. You know, a few years back, I was worried about what we saw on the campuses and how it's going to spill over to the activist base of the Democratic Party. What I didn't see and what I don't think a lot of us saw coming was how quickly it would come to dominate big tech and the stranglehold big tech has over our civic life. So it's gone um, very quickly. I, I used to have a hard time. You know, I've, I've, I'm, I focus on the campuses through the Maccabee Task Force. I focus on fighting uh, against the, the delegitimization of Israel on the campus. Just a couple of years back, I had a hard time persuading people to take what was going on on campus seriously. And the argument I had to make and plead with them was that what you see on the campus today, you're going to see out in our politics in a generation or two. And 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 that was a hard argument to make. I was wrong. I was terribly wrong. It's not a generation or two. It was a year or two. And we're seeing it out there, not only in society and politics, but at these strangleholds of big tech. 
Big tech ultimately is business. And, and I don't expect this to change quickly or overnight. But I do think someone like Jeff Bezos is a businessman. And I don't, he's not canceled all conservatives. I mean, my books are still sold on Amazon. At least they were as of this morning. Um, I think they're, they're doing it gradually. And they'll see what the response is. If we're silent, look out for more. If we're not silent, if there's pushback, I think we can stop it. As we grow and as we, come, as we get an organized voice equal to our numbers, I do think we'll be able to speak more and more effectively uh, towards those who are right now responding to a fringe, a fringe that's uh, represented far beyond its numbers at these big tech companies. You know, David, you know what scared the heck out of me? I think it was about two or three weeks ago on the floor of the house when they were talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene and Steny Hoyer, who was a pretty powerful guy, and he's been in Washington for a long time. He had a big poster of the squad, and he said of them, you may disagree with them, but they're basically good people. Um, if that's where we are now, it scares the heck out of me of where we're going. I remember two years ago, the left, and I, I'm, on Facebook, I'm very, very critical of the Jewish left. Many of them defended Democrats by when I would point out that the Democrats are silent over the squad. Their response was always, they're just four voices. Well, they're not just four voices. They may be the four loudest voices, but there are many more just like them. And they are scaring the hell out of the leadership who have been there for a very long time. Yeah, they might, they might be four voices, but, but uh, I, I think as anyone you know, could have seen and is now seeing, um, they speak for the base. They are perceived as having the energy of the party and they have an inordinate influence uh, over those who might disagree with them. You know, I see this a lot on campus and I don't know the squad. I don't know them personally. I don't know their, their motives, but I do see this a lot on campus and it may or may not apply to them, which is people supporting a dangerous agenda, a wrong agenda for the right reasons. Um, I know a lot of people who, for the right reasons, like you and I, oppose racism. Racism to me is a disgusting thing. But in the effort to oppose this disgusting idea, they're supporting dangerous agendas that will only hurt people of color because they're being told this is the way anti-racists have to behave. And so you see a lot of people for the right motives doing dangerous, dangerous things. And that's really what's upsetting about this moment is in our, because of our silence, because we've been so passive, we've let others assume the mantle of anti-racists who I believe don't give a damn about people of color. They just want a virtue signal and they, they're only focused on themselves and showing how wonderful they are. And they're, they're, not only are they focused on themselves and motivated by virtue signaling, but I don't think they've ever bothered to look into these issues enough to realize that, hey, maybe defunding the police isn't actually best for the people you presume to care about. And by the way, teaching people that this is an inherently racist society and exaggerating the problem of racism well beyond what it actually is today isn't the best message to be sending young people in these communities. When you have the difference between saying, yeah, there might be racism in America, but if you apply yourself and work hard, you can make it in this country, a message of hope and a, and a message that right. can inspire versus a message of, no, this is an inherently racist country and you as a person of color don't stand a chance. What's a more accurate message and what's a more constructive message? Right. Um, so, so whatever their motives might be, I can't speak to, but, but we've allowed them to assume the mantle of these causes we all share. And these goals we all share. 
And in our silence, we've, we've, let, we've let these good causes be hijacked by very dangerous ideas and often very bad people. David, I'm curious, is there um, any overlap between your work as executive director of the Maccabee Task Force, founding executive director of Christians United for Israel, and now the Edmund Burke Foundation? Yeah, well, be- because of my focus on Israel, uh, and you, you know, you, you both are familiar with the analogy, uh, Israel's the canary in the coal mine. Um, when, when, when an environment turns anti-Israel and anti-Semitic, you can tell something unhealthy is going on there. Because of my focus on Israel and, and anti-Semitism, I've been following for years now the extremism of our campuses, faculty, uh, often administration, and, and, and students. And when you get immersed in this world, you quickly realize it ain't just Israel. You know, Israel might be the, the, the number one target, the tip of the spear. But people who have this 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 inverse this very this very uh, unrealistic view of Israel don't stop there. They typically also take these views towards our own country, towards America, and so you see anti-Israel and anti-America and woke all involved in this this far left silo. Whatever their motives might be, they're completely disconnected from reality and completely disconnected from from how best really to advance the values we might share. It's not, it's, you know, it's not the values or the goals I disagree with so much as how you get there. And it's the how you get there that they have so wrong. You know, we, we just, just, just a quick example. There was just a debate in one of our campuses where um, some of the anti-Israel groups, presumably speaking up for Muslim rights, right, and Muslim humanity, they took out language from a resolution that would have condemned the modern day genocide of Muslim Uyghurs in China, right? We are living, never again, it's happening again. We're living through a modern-day genocide against Muslims in China. But the people who presumably care about Muslims took that language out because they wanted the focus exclusively on Israel, the country, I would argue, that treats the Muslim pop, its Muslim population better than any other country, including Muslim, Muslim countries. So it just shows you the moment that that same skewed view, that same odd focus is now being turned in on America, which flaws and all is, 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 has done more for humanity, done more for its citizens of any color and any background, done really more to give hope to the world than any other country. And you don't have to be a foolish guy with rose tinted glasses to say that. If you are practical, hard nosed guys are aware of our sins, aware of our flaws, you can still say that. In fact, you have to say that because in this fallen, flawed world of ours, no one's done any better. This is the example of how to treat humanity and how to treat your citizens. David, you scares me because you're about you don't know motivations and we always don't or we don't always. But there was a time when we all believed that Republicans and Democrats loved America, but we just had different ways of getting to where we want to get to. I can't say that now. I can say with a clear conscience that people like uh, Ilhan Omar, uh, Cortez, Bernie Sanders, these people are anti-capitalist. They are against everything that America stands for. So their motives, I can clearly say, are to bring this country down to its knees. When they refer to the police as a cancer in our society, um, these are not people who are looking to better America, but just looking at it from a different angle than you and I, they are looking to literally transform America the way Barack Obama spoke about it, but just never could get it done. 
Well, I think you're right, Alan, in that at a certain point, when you when you look at the agenda they're pursuing, it's hard for me to believe they love this country and, 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 and its principles. Uh, because if you do, uh, you, you, you would recognize the good we've done and you wouldn't want to tear it down. Right. Um, I don't know the worldview. You know, I, I, I think I shared this last time. You know, Barack Obama was in my law school class. I, I'm familiar with the worldview he imbibed uh, because I was fed it too. I just regurgitated it mm. pretty quickly. Um, and so I do understand how someone wanting the best for America and wanting the best for humanity could pursue a foolish set of policies that ultimately undermine the very things they claim they want to strengthen. I'm aware of that, but at a certain point, you know, and you look at Ilhan Omar and then um, someone wrote a great book about her American ingrate. I have a woman. You look at a woman we took in and gave every opportunity to, she is living the American dream. And yet you see the response to America. Um, You know, it does get hard to feel she loves this country and appreciates it. I I, I don't know her personally. And this is, you know, I'm not going to judge her. I'm just going to say whatever your, your, whatever your motive, your policies will undermine the very things that made your family want to come here. And your policies will undermine the very things that enabled you to succeed here so spectacularly. I prefer to maintain a country to which Ilhan Omar's want to come. And I prefer to maintain a country in which Ilhan Omar's can succeed. I believe what I propose will do that. What she proposes will undermine it and more quickly than any of us would have imagined. This is why I say you're one of the nicest we're, guys around because I could we're never out of have time. spoken I'm sorry. Nicely. We're going to get cut off. Okay. <laughs> uh, David, thank you for being our guest today on The Definitive Rap. Well, you do great work. You do incredible work. Thank you to pleasure. our listening audience for tuning in. And thank you to thenews.com for being their official podcast. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Rap with your host, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.